I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And I'm Joey Lee. And We Love to Watch. We Love to Watch has been adopted by Patricia Clarkson and Stanley Tucci. Hey, Pete. Hey, Joey. Hi. How are you guys doing for the first time in forever? <laughs> yeah, we definitely did try to record this three weeks ago. <laughs> hey, we were charm, everyone. Uh, but yeah, before we get too deep into that, uh, where we love to watch, we're a movie podcast. We pick a theme. We do movies over the course of uh, that month around that theme. And if we remember, we compare and contrast. And we're in our third week of fancy high school, which is like high school, but a little fancier in that we are doing uh, high school movie adaptations uh, of classic literature, primarily set in the 90s, but this is our kind of our one big exception. Instead of going back to the Shakespeare well, which we're doing next year with 10 Things I Hate About You, but spoilers, a lot of uh, Shakespeare high school movies were made in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s. We decided to go to a movie that I think all of us on this podcast love. It came out in 2008. 10, I believe, 2010, uh, starring a uh, uh, post-Superbad Emma Stone playing a high school student. And that movie is easy. Very much on the rise. Very much on the rise. Uh, yeah, a year after Zombieland, two years after Superbad. And that movie is Easy A, which is either based on Nathaniel Hawthorne's Scarlet Letter or how a Canadian wants to confirm with you that a task was relatively simple to accomplish. Uh, easy, eh? <laughs> nope. We can end it. All right. It's going to be that kind of show. No, no sorry. I forgot. It's a it's an audio medium. You couldn't see me slow clapping really, really <laughs> quietly and silently and smiling. And I was picking my jaw off the ground. I was so excited for your joke, Aaron. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Giving it to Thank us. you. I assumed yeah. I assumed you just fucked up the slow clapping like uh, the character from Not Another Teen Movie last week. Um, <laughs> but I don't know if we I don't know if we talked about it on the episode, but uh, it happens on the movie. So check that movie out. Uh, but we're joined by a three-time guest, Joey Lee, uh, who is, why don't you, uh, it's been a little bit since you've been on, um, If uh, so why don't you reintroduce yourself to our audience and let the audience know why you just had to talk about uh, the first letter of the alphabet. Um, I'm Joey Lee. Um, I have been on uh, in the past to talk about, but I'm a cheer cheerleader and raw and um, matinee, the Mant movie. Um, Mant? Yes, I was... Oh, four time. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's hard to keep track because I also have a reputation for um, canceling at the last minute. But I... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, I am happy to be here. I was bummed to miss out on Follow That Bird because I also have a special relationship with Follow That Bird. But with Easy A, it's a fun relationship because um, I originally watched this movie with my boyfriend and assumed that my parents would not like it because mm -hmm. my mom is proudly sex negative. If you accuse her of being sex negative, she goes, I am sex negative. <laughs> I thought she would hate it. 
So I watched it and then I guess like a little more than a year ago, I moved back to California and I was like, hey, you might like this. Like she liked Clueless. And then my dad was there and we were like, Emma Stone's in this. Um, And we all watched it. And I, they loved it so much that afterwards um, they asked me to never show them another movie that isn't like Easy A in some way. So they were like, we only want to watch movies like this from now on. And during the sex, the simulated sex scene at the party, which we'll discuss more in a few minutes, both of them were actually falling out of their chairs laughing. So that's when I learned that actually my mother's sex negativeness is um, means that she really likes jokes about sex and how ridiculous it is. And this was then uh, further confirmed when we saw The Favorite and she loved the part where Emma Stone is giving the apathetic handjob and thinking about political strategy. So, uh, you know, that was a, it was a, it was a great, that was a great way to find out that just because you're sex negative doesn't mean you don't love a great teen sex comedy. In fact, maybe you love it even more. This strikes at a question. Should we do a should we do a sad hand job month where we do the favorite and the master? Yes, no, and you can do BPM too. <laughs> that one's a really sad hand job. And my parents were like, that was too much sex after I showed them that. Uh yeah. Well, you know, in some ways though, I'll say I'm not making any sort of value judgments on your parents or anything like that. But I can see how someone who is proudly sex negative may uh, may enjoy a uh, a high school s- sex comedy because a lot of them, I think, are kind of secretly conservative. And we and we kind of talked about this month that, like, uh, Clueless, I think Peter and I came down on the thought that it handles sex very well among high school students. Uh, we've already recorded 10 Things I Hate About You, and that actually has a very, uh, very uh, smart, progressive way of – talking and dealing with like what it's like to have sex as a teenager she's all that is like uh it's all 30 year olds anyway so they treat sex like 30 year olds um this movie is actually like it is i think sex positive by the end uh stanley tucci and patricia clarkson's uh characters especially like the kind of sex positive parents i think everyone a wishes they were raised by and b hopes that they are if they ever become parents um uh yeah, but but I do think this movie, like a lot of them, is it's still dealing with like the fallout from a sexual relationship in high school. Ojai, California, is where this film takes place and was made, uh, and it is sort of a ritzy, rich, more rural version of um, what people think of Berkeley, where I was born and raised, is. It, it's from so uh i do we did part of how i sold my parents on it and part of what we found so delightful is the um mocking of the extremely progressive parenting which even though even though my mother is probably sex negative um they're still very very much in common um with how i was raised i find that you know quite delightful and i actually think and we can get more into this as we get into the movie i think it's weird because there's like two layers of hippie mockery going on because first they have her friends parents with their naked cookouts which is a little broad for me but the patricia clarkson stanley tucci pairing is incredible and the best parts of the movie in my opinion 
Yeah, I think they're great. And um, yeah, com- comparatively, I suppose, from the, the city that they're raised in, yeah, her friends, uh, uh, the sister on iZombie, that's where I know her primarily as, um, that uh, they, they're kind of on the far end of the of, of the hippie spectrum. Uh, but I am interested to get, like, not only do I like Tucci and Clarkson in this movie, I do really like them as, like, uh, uh, parents uh, in in this high school genre, which is actually this entire month, for the most part, uh, with, with the, has seen some really good both parent casting and really good parent characters in 10 Things I Hate About You, Clueless, and geez, all that. But I do think this is the apex. But uh, yeah, getting back really quickly, I do think that this movie, uh, and like a lot of uh, movies where the idea is like sex in high school changing everything because it's so big, um, I do think this movie, while overall sex positive, has a lot of like the hallmarks of a sex negative movie. I mean, the uh, you know, uh, from slut shaming to. Uh, to kind of the way that just the concept of Emma Stone's character having sex uh, with a college guy, an older guy that in a non-serious relationship is worth uh, everyone freaking out about. And like even very – there's obviously the um, Amanda Bynes extreme version of that. But I feel like there's a lot of degrees within there as well until it kind of all comes around at the end. But I could kind of see again – not just just in general, a hypothetical, not your parents uh, person going and enjoying the 75 percent of that movie that is like, oh, look at this girl who had sex and then jokes about that. Yeah, no, it definitely is for uh, to be on board with Emma Stone's plan at all. You have to at least be mocking the notion that losing your virginity gives you any sort of real clout or value or like that in and of itself having like assigning more worth to you in your social standing. So it, it mocks that idea. So you don't have to mock sex to mock that idea, but you have to like be willing to mock sex on in this context. Yeah, um, it is. And it's weird, too, because it's not like a it's not a it's not like saved, right? Where the the high school itself is sexless. It's just that um, it it does seem a little bit like, oh, Emma Stone having uh, a a crazy sex weekend with someone we don't know. uh, That's worth becoming like the school, quote unquote, as they say in this movie, slut, as opposed to. Uh, everyone else who's also hooking up and having sex. So uh, yeah, it's so can yeah. I can I jump in? Yeah, there jump really in. quickly to just so uh, this movie came out in 2010, mm-hmm. uh, presumably shot in 2009. Emma Stone is three years older than me, so yeah, so she was 22 when she made this movie, um, and then you were 11 when you lost uh, your the movie came out in 2010. I lost my virginity <laughs> in 2006. Oh, got it. Uh, I assure you, nobody cared at this scale. Um, Despite your best people. efforts, from what I understand, yeah, but right? I didn't tell many people. But um, the the woman that I was with would, uh, didn't get any scorn for it. Uh, it was uh, somewhat common at the time because uh, we were sophomores. It was somewhat common, um, but I don't know if like you know it it had been. She's supposed to be a senior in this movie, right? Yeah, Olive? yeah, I believe so. Uh, I don't know if maybe if like a freshman woman had done it. And I know obviously men and women are held to different standards. When I was 15 with my first boyfriend ever, who's still my best friend. He's wonderful. Um, 
Uh, and I brandished that shit like a weapon. Like I was telling people all over the place. Um, so I really do love that about this movie that it explores like for a woman, there are downsides to both. So you might as just well to just try to pick one and write it out as well as you can. Or in Olive's case, like pick both. Yeah. Yeah. It's just interesting. Cause like, I, I like, I know time changes, you know, and people get more or less conservative, but like, um, <laughs> and progress is not like, you know, a straight line, but like, yeah, when it, when it wasn't a big deal for me, it didn't seem to be a big deal for my partner at the time. Like, um, I, I'm sure like rumor got around, but absolutely nobody asked me, um, like the, even like the locker room talk stuff was mostly like, oh yeah, you guys did. That's, that's pretty cool. I hope I get to do that soon. Like, that was kind of <laughs> your children. Like, um, something my mother and I always say is that, like, they were taught, like, pre sexual revolution, like, old baby boomer for her, they were taught, you know, not to do it. And then sexual revolution, they were told to do it. And now we're just told both things. So, do it at the exact right time. I, I think it's actually that what you just said, that sort of mix is perfect for this movie. Because this movie is, uh, it, it, it is it is about the pros and cons it's about the ups and downs it's it's about the it, it is about defying stereotypes like even the the movie is very aware of the fact that it's pulling from john hughes stereotypes and john hughes social standards of the time um uh and then they use that to subvert what you expect her how you expect her friends to react and who are her friends in the course of the movie her real friends and like how her sort of relationships go but it also leans into those at times because like the Penn Badgley character is a Jake Ryan like all he is is sort of like a brainless hottie that exists in a vacuum that seems to have no personality um uh and I, I'm not complaining mind you um but he's he's that sort of it's that sort of archetype that sort of stereotype um so the movie kind of exists on 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 um in this interesting place where it's both about 2010, but it's also about um, uh, people from, say, they were, grew up in the 1980s, remembering how the 80s were for them. Yeah, yeah, and it, it, I mean, it does wear that John Hughesness on its sleeve. It's also the only movie this month that wears what, why it's fancy high school on its sleeve. Like the teachers are teaching <laughs> the Scarlet so. Letter. She wears the A as a reference to the Scarlet Letter. She talks about it on her video blog. Like, uh, there's no point in Clueless where uh, someone goes, "You remind me of Emma from the book Emma." <laughs> I think all that is worth it for Thomas Hayden Church's. Uh, slow confrontation of Olive walking around with the A, uh, which we'll get to, where he's like, you're taking the, uh, you're taking the homework a little bit too far, you think? <laughs> I like him as in this, and then I like him as the um, sad sap shit kicker in uh, Killer Joe. And I feel like other than those two, he hasn't been used that well since Sideways. Have you seen Wings? Oh, you said sent sideways. Yeah, sent sideways. This movie also is kind of well known for kind of I think Amanda Bynes like last like really big movie role and like watching this movie, it is such a shame that uh, you know, there's a there's a whole reason why uh, she was, you know, done with movies for a little bit. A lot of it extremely sad and depressing goes with uh, how toxic online fandom and a lot of other stuff can be. 
But I think um, our guest next week, who was also uh, Liam Haber, who's on 10 Things I Hate About You, did mention that he 100% believes that she should have been nominated and won the Academy Award for this performance this year. And I, I don't know if I'd go that far. far. I, yeah, I wouldn't go that far necessarily. Uh, but uh, she is really, really great here. Yeah, she's she's really great. And I also – I thought Amanda Bynes was uh, – I was like, she is way too old to be playing – like, <laughs> she's way, way too old to be doing this. I think she's 24 when this movie came out, which, you know, Emma Stone being 22, it's not that far off. No. Um, and uh, some other people were even older – like uh, Tucci and Kudrow and Clarkson and Malcolm McDowell. Now, admittedly, they didn't play high school students, but you cannot argue that they weren't older. Absolutely. Thank you. I don't think Stanley Tucci, uh, shiny-headed Stanley Tucci, could pass as a high school student in this movie. Uh, maybe with a wig. I don't know. It actually makes it a lot less sad, I think, uh, to have like like an independent child. Uh, you know, because if, if you had the sense that he was super... Um, and super neglected or super influenced by his mother, it would be kind of sad. But the fact that he's like eye rolling at her kind of makes it funnier. Too in real life in those situations, like also if you look at like any Real Housewives franchise, they're now adult children who like came of age on TV with their parents being crazy are like the most down to earth people in the world. <laughs> um, they knew exactly what they didn't want. A lot to navigate, which is why I will be raising my children Catholic. Yeah, that's a good way to make them like you, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah, so uh we're we're kind of already getting into the meat of this movie. There's a uh, uh, uh the only other thing that's kind of worth maybe throwing out before we uh, take our musical break here and and get into the plot and uh what happens throughout Easy A is uh the director of this movie, Will Gluck, uh not the best career. Um which is like I I I know that's very insulting to say. Um but like this movie is I, th- I think uh, it's – there's a perception that this type of movie is easy to direct and I don't think that's true. Not only do you have a lot of actors, there's so much information you need to give about peer groups, about um, everything else. Uh, you have to keep things like light – uh, with a light touch, especially as you get into more serious things. Um, it's hard to direct a, t- well, any movie, I imagine, but especially like a teen comedy. And we know that because we've seen so many teen comedies that are just lifeless and dull and drag down the proceedings, even with really good casts in some cases. We've seen that already this month about, like, compare how good Clueless is at telling its story, letting you know what's going on in the school, letting you know the characters, weaving complicated plots compared to She's All That, which, like, doesn't seems to is so poorly like directed and set up in so many cases it feels like it takes place in a post-apocalyptic world without parents and teachers like and and 30 year olds still going to high school out of just their own memories of what they used to do it is uh it is bizarre and it is weird like will gluck i mean he's basically doing the peter rabbit movies now it says Friends with Benefits, which I haven't seen. Which is good. I heard it's the better of the two identical movies. They got that sort of like comparison, uh, which leads uh, you to believe that one is good. One of them has to be the good one. 
Um, but I, I don't think either of them is good. I think Friends with Benefits good. Yeah, I. But you disagree. So either of them. Um, uh, he did Annie, the famously terrible remake that I've seen thirty times. Uh, because my <laughs> Why? my daughter loves it. Oh, uh, that makes sense. My uh, my nieces are like in a stage production of Annie or have been in the past. And so I think my sister went through the same I thing mean, with the movie. Because mu- it was the most recent It's movie, the most right? recent. It's it like it's very colorful, it's very big. Uh, you know, the kid has a cell phone, so, like, they understand the world a little more than if I went and showed him, like, the 80s TV, Kathy Bates, um, Annie. And the music is all, like, produced by uh, Jay-Z and, like, Beyonce and stuff. So, like, the music is actually, like, really good for an update of, like, oh, this is these songs in a uh, in a more, like, dancey hip-hop big beat thing that kids nowadays would, would listen to over and over. And so my daughter has songs are good uh the camera diaz quit acting after it <laughs> um uh it's 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 not it's not great but i have seen it quite a bit um and it it does not um it does not seem like it's directed by the same person that did this movie um yeah yeah, he doesn't seem like uh, I was gonna say it's based on the movies that or the shows and movies that he's been involved with, right? Like, I don't think anything else that he's directed is good. And then based on shows, he was a producer on a couple, a couple interesting comedy projects like Andy Richter controls the universe and that's it. Um, and uh, Moonbeam City. Oh, I haven't but seen that. Moonbeam Moonbeam City is interesting. It's fun, fun enough. Um, but uh, other than that, it, it, it's yeah, it's it's it's. There's nothing else in his career where you'd be like, oh, that has, you know, an aspect and aura of of Easy A. Uh, it, it just, you know, he's a, he's a guy who uh, he knocks out rom-coms, uh, rom-coms and, and family movies. And that's totally respectable, but they tend to also be bad, which is not respectable. Yeah, Peter Rabbit, as someone who's seen it, is not good. Uh, and it sucks that I'll probably have to see the sequel at some point. Although not this year, because theaters are shut down. Uh, so it got delayed a whole year. You can hide from your children that it's out. Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh no, I'm sorry. That Peter Cottontail movie, Peter Rabbit movie. So, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. The actor Peter Cottontail. He uh, he um, oh. has a drug problem. You you remember about the virus we've been talking about actually quite a bit. It it uh it killed the movie. <laughs> killed it killed the first one too. <laughs> They're gone now. <laughs> Uh, yeah, great. <laughs> do, do you guys want to do you guys want to talk more about uh, the film? Easy, eh? Yes. Great, Peter. Can you give me an A? A. Thank you. in this movie so uh olive prendergast is sort of an 
independent, uh, <laughs> independent young gal um, who is in a very similar place to every girl from a high school, uh, you know, rom-com kind of thing. She's not quite unpopular. She has some friends, but she's not the most popular, you know, quote, uh, in quotes, hot girl in school. She sees herself as mostly anonymous. She's talking to her excitable child of a hippie friend. Essentially, in a in a misunderstanding, the friend thinks that, oh, well, she slept with uh, this guy. Olive tries to fight it first and then, you know, uh, kind of acquiesces and just like yeah ha ha fine sure whatever um but this this um this lie kind of bloats out and the whole school starts to see her as um a sex haver um as a sexually active woman um to various sort of reactions right the the christian kids hate her consider her in quotes a whore the guys that didn't give her a second look before all of a sudden see her as you know meat on the market also she meets uh her friend um brandon and she meets brandon uh in detention as she's sort of, um, you know, flaunting this new personality, she's enjoying getting all this attention, the sexual liberation of being called, uh, you know, a slut. But on the other hand, she's like, well, I'm not, I, I, I'm not sexually promiscuous. Or I don't slept with anybody. So it's kind of an interesting dynamic where you're feeling like every emotion, every small sub emotion she has on the way. Um, so then she makes friends with Brandon her uh, her uh, the uh, token gay best friend in the film. And. And they sort of come up with, concoct this scheme. Um, Brandon's getting bullied at school for being gay. And uh, she thinks, uh, well, uh, make this interesting and I'll help you out. Uh, make this interesting for me. Actually, does he pay her or does he does he pay her before? Or no, he, he offers to to like, yeah, pay her. She Brandon offers her some money to basically say they slept together. And she's like, no, I want to help you out. You're my new friend. Um, I want you. I want these assholes to back off of you. Um, and so she agrees to be his beard for a period of time. And then there's this, there's like a, a sequence where they basically try and confirm that they're having sex at a party by going in a back room and making sex noises and everything. Um, at the same time, uh, she's also uh, has a crush on this Penn Badgley guy. Um, who's like the high school mascot and uh, he's cute. And they were friends as kids. I think, I think, she was I'm trying to remember how that scene goes down. She she was his first kiss. It was she was gonna be the first kiss. And he said he wasn't ready. So he's sort of like the hunky guy who she's, you know, always wanted to be with, but she was too shy to go after or you know. Oh, the important hold on, hold on. So really quick, the important part of that moment is that he asked her during seven minutes of heaven if it was okay if she told everyone when they left because he wasn't ready to kiss a girl or anyone yet um, that that if yes. if, she, if she would tell everyone they kissed so he didn't get made fun of and she agreed. So l- later on when she's talking about doing this, she's like, this isn't my first time be playing this role. I don't know why, especially because they have a line alerting us to that insight, why I never put two and two together there. Yeah, of course. That's when she yeah. learned that the reputation can be separate from the actual act and it has separate value. She has an origin story for this lie. It's not just something that she and her friend Buddy Brandon cooked up. Um, But anyways, so she's in love with this Penn Badger guy. It's not really that important in the movie uh, for the first like two thirds of it. And then um, towards the end, it'll come back. Um, But as she develops this sort of uh, black market, 
um, for lying to uh, lying to everyone and saying that her and this guy did it if the guy um, pays her in some fashion. Um, so she like, it, it, I don't know, it's like reputational prostitution. I don't know what you'd call the, I don't know what her, like where she would file her like, um, like her taxes under, right? Like if she had to fill out performance a artist. <laughs> more comparable to being like arm candy or a sugar baby if you're not yeah. having sex with your John or whatever um, where you know it's sort of the symbolism and the flattery is what's it's what's doing it and um, you know I can't can't believe this movie pulled off to the extent it did prostitution without feeling grosser and I can't believe that like making it for gift cards is like how you do that yeah, well, yeah, and she and, and I makes think it very clear later on when someone tries to treat her as a prostitute, a you know the the gift card for it. It's she's it's very clear that she's like she's drawn boundaries. It's like no, this is this is uh, this is me telling a story. This is me putting on a presentation for everyone. I can do whatever I want with my own reputation. Yeah, I think part um, of it too it's, is it's that my, it's mine to control. I think part of it too is that um, with the exception of her friend who does the big showy scene. There, she never like goes on even faux dates with anyone else. Essentially, her her business model is: you can tell a lie about me that I will consent to a you telling and b won't argue the point. So, it, if, for some reason, it does feel a little bit less um, gross than like if she had to go on faux dates or like have those kind of party scenes over and over with these people. It's just sure. You you say that whatever you want about me and my you know my reputation and all that stuff I will not fight I will not argue about it I will I will confirm yeah. it if anyone asks No I don't know that that is true I think there is a distinction there She's just not supposed to deny it Does she have to confirm yeah. it I guess I'm not Well she so but but uh I don't know if she has to deny it, but she's consenting to like they can't say whatever right like she has a joke that like Someone gets her like a $50 gift card to someplace shitty or the movie theater or whatever. That, and she's like, she's like, okay, you can tell people that I gave you a hand job, like, like, which is less than other people are allowed to tell. So I don't know if it's uh, obviously she's not going around saying it, but um, but she she is consenting to what their lie Lies. is. Yeah. Definitely. I, but I just don't think we ever see anyone in the movie ask her if any of it is true. And oh, yeah, I definitely don't right. think she responds affirmatively. Like, I think the only person who does is her, like, best friend from the beginning. Yeah, no, that's uh, that is true that she no one no one ever really asks her. Yeah, I, I mean, I just don't know if we figured out what she's supposed to put on her W-2. Uh, Self-employed. She's committing tax fraud, but like she's a minor, so I think if you make under six thousand dollars, you don't have to report your taxes or whatever. So chances are she's fine. The real dumb thing is that she recorded this all in her video diary that she put online. Very easy to catch her in this crime. Yeah, the IRS is coming after her. Um, I'm sure. Well, coming after uh, her parents. It's a good thing, but I'm sure there's someone who's getting paid fully in Amazon bucks, like they're in fucking Fordlandia or something. Uh. Yeah, I mean, also, I mean, the people that are actually going to jail are Stanley Tucci and Patricia Clarkson because they probably are still claiming her as a dependent. Which would be a shame because they're actually like the parents of the year. And if they raised all of us, we'd all be a lot better off. 
Yes, we're going to talk Absolutely. about that. Let's, yeah, um, but let's wrap up. Uh, yeah, the movie. Yeah, they've got good parents. Let's put a pin in that because it'll it's going to eat up a lot of time. Um, the uh, so uh, she she allows these lies to spread uh, for you know her benefit, but also it, it it is sort of in a sense like she's taking like coupons and stuff sometimes, and like it, she's clearly doing it because at a certain point she's like. She's like, well, yeah, I mean, I'm helping these guys get their self-confidence up enough to actually ask out girls. Like one of the guys, basically the guy that runs the ice cream shop is basically like uh, it works at the ice cream shop is basically like, yeah, because of your thing now, like girls will actually talk to me. <laughs> I act I've turned uh, a myth into reality, which is, you know, kind of a cool uh, it's kind of a cool like uh, mixing of she's it's not totally a capitalist enterprise, right? Um, kind of, but that is, guy sucks, in, in and she comments about how much that sucks. Like, so wait, you got a girlfriend based on the fact that I slept, that I slept with you, or whatever? Yes, yes, yes. The Seinfeld plot where George like goes to that nightclub because like Jerry's dating a beautiful woman he has a picture of, and then he like it burns, and then he brings starts bringing in like magazine model clippings. Um, it's also something I've seen guys do in real life. So <laughs> that is a movie convention, right? Like. I haven't known that in real life to any extent that I'm aware of. I know that makes it sound like I've tried it and been unsuccessful, but um, uh, yeah, I don't think that's a that's not a real thing, right? I just know like a sort of doofy guy who sort of sucks who has a really really beautiful oh! friend, and he would just like show her picture around a lot, and if he felt like it got him like a new class of girl. Oh, I I definitely believe there's doofy guys out there that are trying it. It just doesn't feel like a real thing. Oh, that that the part where she's getting paid in the gift certificates and stuff. No, where like someone would be attracted to someone because their partner or ex partner used to be attracted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's. I mean, I think it's something that exists more in the eyes of men who want to try it than women who would find it effective. Um, but you know, there's probably something there. I don't know. I, I don't think it maybe wouldn't make you genuinely more attracted, but like maybe you could get a date you couldn't get before or something. I don't know. Alright. Yeah. But but I think the point here is that it's not necessarily that she's doing the uh, the mo- utmost, most pivotal ethical thing, right? It's the point is that what she's doing um, is acting within a set of social constraints that women are bound to, which is like this sort of shitty uh, whore Madonna complex thing where like um, she gets attention for being sexually active, but also she gets, uh, you know, uh, bile thrown at her for from some of the same people, like literally her best friend who's like spreading the rumor is like you dog and like smacking her on the back is like, uh, a later joining up with the the Christian, um, the you know the Christian kids to like protest her. Um, so it, it's it, it is supposed to be sort of like okay, um, <laughs> Olive is in a shitty social dynamic. Um, how does she navigate the sort of uh, gray level eth- 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 ethical concerns of of a lot of this stuff? And it, and in, I, the thing that's most amazing about the movie is that. A lot of it is due to Emma Stone and a lot of it is, and then the other half is kind of due to the script. But 
um, you're with her the entire time through this journey. And you're realizing, like, she she's realizing, she's like, I could have done that better. I could have done this better. And, like, she's aware of the fact that she's kind of boxed in at a certain point. And yeah. she's trying to have fun with the situation at hand, right? Like, I don't necessarily think it's great for her to, like, feed into the social dynamic that, like, um, these, these poor sappy guys need the attention of women to get the attention of women or whatever. Like, that's not ideal. But... Um, she's operating within an existing shitty social dynamic, and I don't think she's making it uh, quantitatively any worse. Yeah, and I think it also, it's funny that we talked about her being a senior because the way that she interacts with the high school environment is definitely seems like someone who is about to leave it, who, like, doesn't have that much invested anymore, right? Like, she can kind of be confident and, and also, like, do this crazy thing and at the end of the day like how much more of the year do they even have it's hard to tell because it's oh hi it's always the same weather but you know <laughs> yeah there's no uh there's no final prom right or is there, is there prom? there's the final basketball game <laughs> yeah there's ho- but is it, i felt like that was the homecoming thing which feels like the year just started <laughs> Well, in which case, it's good for her because what if her and Penn Badgley want to go to different schools? At least they have. Uh, does all this? Know, yeah. Does all this happen together. in two weeks? I, 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 yeah. I get the sense that this is all very like tight timeline, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah. So regardless, she, uh, she, she's continuing along this path, and then she starts to hit walls. Um, the one uh, big one is Lisa Kudrow and Thomas Aiden Church are two teachers at the school. Lisa Kudrow is a guidance counselor, um, and there's this whole home wrecker plot, so to speak, which is um, that uh, Thomas Hayden Church uh, doesn't know Lisa Kudrow is sleeping with uh, a student. Um, a 22-year-old student, but a student nonetheless, um, still a violation of, of a whole lot of, of ethics. Um, and she uh, she contracts chlamydia, for, or he contracts chlamydia from her, and there's a whole thing where he blames it, on, the, the, the student, uh, the Christian student that contracts it, blames it on Olive, because, you know, she's the convenient scapegoat. Mm-hmm. Everyone starts to hate Olive, um, because she basically, Lisa Kudrow doesn't throw her, on, uh, Lisa Kudrow throw, throws her under the bus. Lisa Kudrow doesn't step up and say, actually, I'm the one that gave him. Well, she offers yeah. to originally, and it's, it's that thing of like getting caught. And then all of his like, actually, you know what? I've covered for so many people. I've got nothing to lose at this point. I don't want my favorite teacher's marriage to break up. I'll cover it. And then later on when she's like, you need to fix it. She's like, sorry, who's, who's, uh. It's it's like she she's not at that point she hasn't um, decided she needs to come clean or separate herself from the lie and she's basically tells her sorry who at this point you you did a good thing and you should just keep doing that good thing and at this point who who's everyone gonna believe at this point me or you so you are out of luck. Olive at this point also gets uh, one date that puts her off from the the whole affair. So she thinks it's an actual date date. Um, and uh, he essentially he, the guy he used to date right, right. Date and is like, yes, yes. Her, her best friend's he, name uh, uh, is Rhiannon. Uh, Rhiannon. Rhiannon. 
but she calls Rih- she calls she calls her Rai Rai, and I'm only going to call her that throughout the podcast because that's a great. Uh, Rianon's boyfriend Anson uh, takes her out on a date. She thinks it's an actual date. She's like, "Oh, people are actually I'm getting what I wanted to get out of this, which is like attention from attractive people." Yeah, because um, she does point out that throughout that all cool. this, not one person has asked her on a real date. It's only like this secret underground like gift cards for sex rumor exchanges that have been approaching her. Yeah, yeah. And so she's finally getting like a real offer and and he is like cute and charming and fun up to like up through the date and everything and like it seems like they would be a good fit. And then um in the parking lot as they have to leave the date, um, because Rianon is also at that I think eating with her parents yeah. maybe at that restaurant. Um so she fully ruins her relationship with Rhiannon then and then really? in that same breath um Anson basically is like well I'm paying you for this um and we're having a date so I'm pay- I can pay you for sex right like we can just we can just do the thing for real um which is uh grosses her out um for two reasons and- really quick just in case we don't get back to it which are totally understandable one that oh shit he actually doesn't want to go on a date with me because he wants to spend time with me. He wants to have sex. And B, uh, he thinks I'm the type of person that is having sex with everyone in the school in exchange for Home Depot gift cards. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, her, her, uh, horror at all of this is like, it's, it's all coalescing. The fact that she was actually into him and he was like, not, he was seeking to use her. Um, when she wasn't actually in the economy that she wasn't in the sex work economy that he thinks she is in. Yeah. Like, um, so it's a complicated sort of weird thing, but you totally understand why she could be offended from, you know, multiple interpretations. Of course. And this kind of thing would happen where like the rumor would get smudged or like some dudes would misunderstand it because they wanted to have sex with Emma Stone. Right. Like that, that would absolutely happen very quickly. And, 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 and uh, uh, that's that's also true because like this account, the fact that randos that she doesn't have any reason to talk to keep coming up to her. She's not going out and advertising her business. It seems like randos are going up to her and offering her this, which to me implies that like it's it it, it, it at this point is becoming an open secret that like she pays she gets paid to say to spread these rumors and like the economy is getting murky for her as well because she's now accepting like coupons and stuff and um and it's not as fun for her anymore and mm-hmm. also like does she need this anymore if if she's getting what she wants which is you know dates and attention she totally advertises because she rips up she rips up all that victoria's secret lingerie and all those corsets and puts the a on them everywhere which by the way doesn't really seem like she would need to do that much just put the a but that montage is very fun um she looks incredible um and she's sassing everyone like i feel like she like is approaching life differently i think that the whole corset with the a's on it is totally her advertising yeah but that's like that's that'd be like saying i went to the park and i ate a really good sandwich in front of everybody that doesn't mean that i'm advertising that i'm i own a sandwich shop like the her business model isn't being advertised, I don't think. People are talking about your sandwich shop and then you go with your delicious sandwich in front of everyone like, you know, what's going to happen. It's true. That's true. If she's if she's sort of she's, uh, you know, that marketing, it's like a BMW marketing. BMW says that they don't 
they don't expect to ever sell a single BMW from a commercial. A commercial is just there to make current BMW owners more satisfied with their purchase and to stay in the ecosystem. That's really funny. I think it's a pretty clear, like, in that moment, she is upset about her choices and the concept of capitalism. Hmm. I'd also like to add that real prostitutes can't advertise directly most of the time either. That's true. Yeah. Like the value of her, the value of what she's selling is lessened when people know that she's selling a lie. She's not selling herself as a prostitute, in which case this would work great because it would be, um, <laughs> it'd be one, I mean, it, it would have other complications, obviously, but it'd be a one-to-one thing where like, well, all right, rumors starting to spread that you're a prostitute. Well, I am a prostitute. Here is, <laughs> here is my pamphlet of assorted, uh, assorted services. But instead it's like the, the more that her, it's almost like the marketing is eating away at her cost cost uh or the value of the, the yeah, I, yeah the I, I think where it is a one-to-one <laughs> a relationship is that uh whether it's uh fake or real if the truth comes out it has the potential to complicate a lot of uh situations i would go, yeah. i would go so far as to say that even with real prostitutes the second you become willing to sell something the value of the thing goes down a little bit so like if you're not a prostitute and someone's trying to get you to prostitute yourself and like you don't want to and they have to convince you they're going to give you more money than if you're like hey i'm a prostitute you want to hook up yeah they'll be like show me the menu price on this item but if you're bartering and you're saying i'm not but let's 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 have this conversation yeah that's that's called that's called false scarcity yes (laughs) like they do at mcdonald's with the mcrib there's no mcrib season (laughs) (laughs) well the mcrib bird lands uh traditionally on the western coast of florida are you saying that mcdonald's can't throw green food coloring into the old shake machine in august bullshit (laughs) (laughs) uh but i i will say i i I don't eat mcribs but i will say like once a year i do go get shamrock shake and this year i felt like i was robbed of it because St. Patrick's Day happened right in the middle of when I was like, am I allowed to leave my house? Do drive our drive throughs okay? <laughs> Do you think that COVID is a international conspiracy to make the demand for McRibs and Shamrock Shakes shakes even even higher in 2021? I mean, there are chicken factories going down right now. Uh, so I imagine it's also going to have uh, an increased effect on a spicy chicken sandwich that McDonald's is going to roll out, uh, a chicken McNugget, uh, you know, increase. They're going to adjust their prices and everyone's going to be like, I don't care. Just gi- just give me a shamrock shake and a chicken nugget <laughs> combo. Yeah. F- oh, five dollars for a six piece. That makes total sense. in the current nugget economy. <laughs> <laughs> well, the nugget economy is heavily tied to the price of an oil barrel. So yeah. stock markets up. Nugget economy also <laughs> plummeted and now is rebounded at the cost of the consumers. Also. <laughs> Who can, aff- who can afford it now that no one has houses or jobs? I just like to imagine that there are like how there are usually two supply chains, like commercial and personal. I would like to think that nuggets are their own third supply chain. Yeah, nuggets. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, like uh, 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 Sergeant Nugget General says, supply chain's still good. And then, like, in five years, the ghost of Andy Rooney will be like, you ever notice that Nuggets are smaller than you remember? And then pre-COVID, they used to, sometimes you'd get one that looks like a boot or a Burger King crown, and but they still used to fit between your two fingers. Now, look at these Nuggets. Uh, they, they, I mean, I would love it if... If 60 Minutes actually had um, a uh, Andy Rooney coming back, doing his segment at the end of uh, end of the show, um, and Andy's a ghost, and in a sidebar on the side of whatever other segments they're having, they just have uh, a muted video of the seance being performed to conjure him because it takes a it takes a it takes fifty five minutes. minutes. To do it. Yes. Well, and then of course, twenty years after that, there's like uh, the insider, but for the Nugget Size movie that comes out with uh, with Al Pacino like yelling about like the Nuggets are smaller. <laughs> Uh, that's good. So what how does so how does this movie end? <laughs> <laughs> I think we could all agree. Regardless, our entertainment is going to be weirdly affected by this, and most of it's going to be pretty garbagey. Anyways, yeah. How the fuck does this oh, be- it's going to be so bad? How, how the fuck does this movie end? Uh, Emma Stone uh, sings a dance number, uh, very much inflating uh, the the value of her product. I would say. Well, hold on, um, no. A sexy while dance while she's crying in the parking lot, the mascot guy comes out. Oh yeah, <clears throat> her and Penn Badgley basically have the moment where um, that I think happens is it, it, it's usually neglected. I feel like in these this. Uh, these sort of high school movies and as someone who doesn't miss high school at all um this was something that i miss about being like young and in love was this sort of like these moments that would happen where you um you you sort of talk and you have this moment where you're like it's gonna happen just not tonight um because he tries to kiss her and she's just like yes but not now and he's like okay but he waits I need you to be part of my plan. Plot appropriate yeah. for him to uh, to to pursue her. Yeah, and uh, yeah, then they then they do their sexy uh, strip tease. Um, in the middle of the homecoming, I think it's homecoming. It is weird how quickly this movie might take place. Um, and then she does a web. We've been watching all this unfold via webcast. And then, yeah, the structure of it is very interesting. Yeah, and then he he picks her up though, and they drive off in a yeah. lawnmower to the Breakfast Club theme song. What was her webcast for? Classic rom coms at the same yeah. time, all of which have been mentioned, if not shown clips of. Um, I've seen most Baby of them, bang, but not all of them. I haven't. Club. I haven't seen the lawnmower one. Oh yeah, it's uh, it's either like I think it's lawnmower man. Yeah, yeah, that's what it's referencing. Uh. Emma <laughs> Emma joking. Stone's character in Easy A is hoping that Jeff Fahey from The Lawnmower Man can uh, get into <laughs> the virtuality virtual reality of the computers, uh, possess a lawnmower, and drive to her house. That's why she loves computers so much. She wants to get in the computer. Where's my Jeff Fahey? <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, so wait, hold on. What was she gonna? She was gonna webcast to the whole school. The, so she did. She's yeah. She's it. like, hey, come watch if you want to see some real shit. <laughs> <laughs> come down to the VFW and I'll tell you about my time on Hamburger Hill. Um, you want to you want to see some real shit? I'm gonna fuck the mascot at 7 p.m. on the webcast, and then she just tells the whole story. It's definitely the implication. She's like, I'm going to have sex on camera tonight for everyone. And I think, like, everyone watches it, including teachers, right? Or am I wrong about that? Teachers, yeah. I mean, even – here's the problem. Like, Thomas Hayden Church's character, who is her English teacher and someone who she, like, she really likes her. We didn't talk much about him. Like, she's, like, her her teacher mentor and seems like an overall good guy. He watches the cast before he knows what it is. Um – I don't think he's a totally 100% clean character. I think his character is used really well to fool us into thinking he's the one that's being inappropriate with people. Um, he's a very, like, hands-on teacher. That's something so – my, so my parents work for a school district, and my mom paid attention to how hands-on he was being with everyone, including the guys. Um, yeah. and, he, and he is. So you know he's just that kind of teacher who's, like – I don't want to excuse, like, getting a little physical. But, you know, who isn't afraid to, like – at one point he, like – puts his hand on a kid's hat or something to get it off or something. You know, he's very, like, he's very hands-on. And Thomas Hayden Church, maybe just because of the roles he takes, like, I'm used to him being sort of lecherous, um, not in a towards teenage girls way, but I just thought that was how the character was going. And um, it subverts your expectations really well, I think. No, he's great. And his character is really really great um i suppose he doesn't have too much to worry about at a school where the principal's uh malcolm mcdowell uh i love when malcolm mcdowell shows up in a movie and i do like this movie is not shying away from let's take all malcolm mcdowell's evil energy from a clockwork orange and pretend alex grows up to be a high school principal who doesn't want to deal with anything Yeah, he's a sex-negative high school principal, okay? Which makes sense. He knows exactly where high school casual sex leads. Prison. Yeah. To the the milk bar. (laughs) Malcolm McDowell being in this movie casually um, and not murdering a single student uh, seems like a waste opportunity. But it does hint at something here, which is that this movie's cast is fucking stacked. Stacked. For no reason absolutely no reason uh, and that's a good any, movie any like they could have cast any unknowns for as the parents and it would have been charming they could have cast any old disney original original uh channel parents as as the as the parents similar to what they did in like i don't know the net the netflix rom-coms that are kind of emerged in the scene in the past couple of years but instead they're like what if we get two of the best actors of their generation, Patricia Clarkson and Stanley Tucci, to just be cute. And then there's one scene where they pass on, like, you know, the heartfelt lesson. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, let's let's talk about the Tucci and the Clark. Um, I, I love them both, but I'm sorry the Tucci has a better nickname <laughs> than the Clark. Yeah, I'm not going to I'm not going to call her Trish. It seems disrespectful. No, she she does. She definitely deserves a the before her name um but the son also doesn't make sense and it's just very confusing um yeah because they have a son so here's was she the part of the holy trinity yep like yep. secretly i'm not gonna the, the clark isn't great uh and the son is is wildly misleading though do you think the son refers to the holy trinity the father the son and the holy spirit i think if she was one of the trinity which she likely is I think it's probably the Holy Spirit. 
<laughs> we could go like paw claw. She said that sounds like a, a thing, a Dr. Moreau thing where they sewed a lobster to a dog. Yeah, and I also I just don't like the idea that someone may have crucified Patricia Clarkson at some point, even if she later rose. It only for made our her sins. stronger. Yeah, three days later, and then there's some dude Thomas Doubtner, just like. Anyways, uh, yeah. So the tooch is really good. So so's the the Holy Spirit Patricia Clarkson. Uh, she he. He here's the thing I realized watching this movie. He is so good in it, but also you recognize like he has a very um unsustainable parenting that we're witnessing too. We're witnessing a very well-written movie parent. Um and I don't mean in the way that like they're they're approaching Emma Stone and stuff like that, but can you imagine if every time you were around your your say your adopted son, you had to think of something witty like you're adopted or like would that would I think it would get old for that kid, possibly for Patricia Clarkson. Like he's very funny. He's got great lines. He's got great line delivery. But you have to imagine like either he just got funny for this two week period, or like he is making these jokes constantly to a to probably a detrimental degree. Yeah, I think he's making them consistently. I think. Dads sometimes, you know that that's that's a dad joke, right? Like these are just really successful dad jokes. Well, that's the thing. He's got like a hundred percent batting average for dad jokes, and I'm saying that that makes me as a dad, uh, impo- it's impossible to live up to. Most yeah. most of the I mean, jokes general, are going to be bad. I mean, that's actually weirdly enough a flip of it's impossible. It's very often impossible to live up to the uh, standards of rom-com characters. Like, who could do something that romantic? But uh, in this sense, within the rom-com, who could ever live up to the parenting models of Patricia Clarkson and Stanley (laughs) Tooch? And also, like, a joke to a little kid and um, Emma... You know, Olive and her little brother are both a little too old for this, but you can see a dad like starting it and then just like not letting up is often just a ridiculously untrue statement that we all know is false. Like little kids think that's funny because they're like learning what words mean and like what yeah. is, right? So like, um, yeah, so my my niece's great aunt on my sister-in-law's side um, by marriage will just be like, is your name Ralph? And like Dana will like crack up because she's like, no, it's not. Ha ha ha. Um, you know, and it's objectively like not the most sophisticated humor in the world. Or she'll be like, is this like pink flower yellow? And she'll be like, no. Um, so, you know developing minds yeah and it also helps that again they they did raise emma stone right like in theory they are partially responsible for why emma stone is like such a good daughter to have to raise like you know i'm i'm i understand the importance of family time i am here when you need me like they have a good dialogue they have good communication which is you know very difficult i think for most um kids in high school with their parents and i imagine now that i'm you know closer to the other side of that than i was being a high school student myself i imagine that will be uh 
challenging for from on the parenting side, even though I want like that's why I said this is like almost idealism. Like this is what you want. You want to be able to have a conversation where you're not you recognize they're on the precipice of adulthood. You don't want to be invading their lives too much, but you want to keep lines of communication open to, and let them know that they're there for you all the time. And like it's the perfect kind of give t- and take, right? Like when Emma Stone needs her parents. Uh, that's when she opens up, like right at the exact moment, and her parents are uh, starting to just let open up a little bit and say, "We're here for you." As it as it it gets clearly worse, like they basically cross paths in the night at the perfect time um, of when they both need each other, and like that's like probably impossible to get right. It is in my experience when kids have been raised like I like I was raised without punishments and whatnot and like for that reason if you tell me you're disappointed in me I'll like stress out about it for like 3 weeks. So that does happen where like we're like um you know like I was saying like kids who aren't raised super strict strict are often like very like self-sustaining and responsible in a way that, you know, reminds me of Emma of Olive in this movie. And then also, you know, Emma Stone is such a great leading lady because she manages to be at once so gorgeous and aspirational in such a relatable, goofy way. So I totally believe that these two gorgeous, goofy, charismatic, hilarious people raised this like grounded, mature, sophisticated, but like sort of goofy and a little, and a little like, not like nerdy, but like, you know, uh, not vain, right? Like obviously not vain. I mean, a little, a little, she tries to explain that, but you know, um, she obviously is a lot more than, um, you know, a, a pretty face. She seems very fun and very authentic. And as much of a stretch as it is to think that anyone, you know, that she'd have a hard time getting guys because she is Emma Stone, um, it's still, uh, it's believable that the character might not have a super clear vision of that about herself. Well, and also just, I think, you know, she is very clear, which she, she calls out all the time. Like, she recognizes that Partially because of just who she is as a, as a person, partially because of the way that she was raised, that she's just way more mature, mature than most of the people in her school, which does happen to a lot of high school people, right? Like, it's a weird time where, like, there's people that still act like they're in sixth grade and people that act like they're in their 30s, right? Like, people are running the gamut. And if you're in – if you're kind of leaning towards, like, her, which is, like – yeah, I, 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 I have to figure out myself and who I am as a person, but I am mature enough to recognize that I don't like that I'm a high school student who doesn't have that stuff figured out. Like, that puts her on a different precipice of people that are just, in some ways, reacting to the stimuli of high school as opposed to, like, reacting but also be their own, like, scientists monitoring their own, their reactions. Like, hmm, how did that make me feel? I recognize I'm at a weird transitory point in my life. Um so, like, I understand from that that, like, it, it, it can be hard to to be like, okay, well, I don't know if I want to date because, the, you know, the type of guy that I want to be with right now doesn't feel like I'm meeting them at high school or it's people I've known my my entire life or something like that. And then, like, even my best – my friends, it's like my friends are living through a – a high school drama that I, I'm a little bit more of an observer on than a than a participant. Yeah. Um, 
And I, yeah, I, and I also feel like that's, they probably do raise kids like that in Ohio. I know in Berkeley, we, they were constantly like, your generation is so diverse and you have so many resources and, and it makes you think of everything as like you're outside of your life a little bit, analyzing your teenage years as you're living in them. Um, yeah. uh, and then also, I just wanted to point out, this movie starts in a really fun way because uh, and this did not age great, as Emma Stone is a more and more recognizable face every year. But um, they do a little fake out. They try and pretend that the protagonist is some, like, more sort of anonymously, traditionally less personality, uh, traditionally beautiful blonde. Um, and then there's like, psych, you didn't think it was about her, did you? It's about me, Olive. And then you're like, oh, Emma Stone, who's even prettier than her. But that's fine. <laughs> But in a way that I can remember her face. Um, so, um, but I always, I always like that. Yeah, um, I do feel the, the, yeah, the only thing that really I, I don't feel like aged really well beyond that is some of the, I don't know how to put it, some, some of the movies, ideas of uh, gay people and some of the Huck Finn stuff doesn't really, it's, it's, it's so bad it really doesn't sit well, which feels out of place like the rest of the movie does feel relatively like you know it's it's that weird thing where it's like it's 2000 fucking 10 when this movie comes out like like even the dan bird stuff like is kind of like okay like i get it it's still high school you know but it does feel like it comes from the mind of like 90s high school i'm not saying that there's not LGBTQ people that don't have a tough time in high school, but it it feels like it's remembering a little bit of a different era, and then everyone's reaction to it is so... The Scarlet Letter was hitting home, and all the books we were reading reminded us of our lives, except for Huck Finn, because he never hooked up with a hot black guy and went down the river, and it's like... Do you know so few black people that, like, the only person you connect them uh, a hot... Which also, like, Jim is not, like, explicitly hot in Huck Finn, but that's, like, a story for another day. Um, but, like, you know, you have such a low reference point of that. And you're you're in Southern California, and, like, it's not quite as diverse as the Bay Area. It's a little more segregated, but, like, I really don't think they know that few people of color. Um, you know, and then to, like, fetishize it is really a strange choice. And, and... As the Scarlet Letter, you know, the more blatant they are with that stuff, um, the more I sort of feel like it's too heavy handed for such a smart movie. So to also try and cram in Huck Finn in this like really like somewhat offensive way is like is a pretty big weak spot, I think. Even though the movie is set in 2010, it feels like it's written by someone who remembers high school from the 90s a little more like because even like I mentioned how sometimes it feels a little bit. Uh, prudish about the way it, or conservative about the way it treats sex in general that does remind me of a more like 90s like hush hush keeping sex a secret still kind of a controversy of how much they're teaching sex ed in school and stuff like that um, especially in like a conservative smaller town that I grew up in where like you know 2010 like you know yeah yeah Kim I mean yeah in California like Kim Kardashian's like a teen role model and you know like there's just it, it's it, like and i'm not saying that's good or bad but like people know why she's famous they like there's all these reality shows that are all about like it's you don't have to wink wink nudge nudge sex as much as you had to on like 90s television and stuff like that like it just yeah it does feel like it was written by someone who like 
remembers high school from the 90s or 80s as opposed to um it truly being set in 2010 and yeah the the gay the the reaction to like the closeted gay person and everything feels feels part of that as well yeah i yeah i don't think it handles that part super well um and like i said before i also find it i also find another weakness to be the stuff with Rhiannon and her parents, just because it seems like we're poking fun at two kinds of hippies, and one of them is a lot more successful than the other one. So I also feel like that could work better. Yeah, I mean, it is weird under any circumstances to try to have naked hot tubbing with your under-18 daughter's friend. <laughs> like, like that's not like, oh, we're goofy nudists. That's like, we should call the police. And then it's like, there's ham stuck to their breasts. Like, I had told my parents, and been like, there's so many funny progressive parenting jokes. And then that's the first one you get. And they were like, we don't want to watch this if it's going to be like this. And I was like, no, don't worry. It's not them. Um... So, so yeah, uh, but I do love, I think my favorite, um, my favorite Stanley Tucci, Patricia Clarkson interaction is, um, there's subsequent scenes with first Patricia Clarkson talking to Olive and then Stanley Tucci talking to Olive and, um, Stanley, Patricia Clarkson comes in there and she's like, oh yeah, I mean, I've, she was like, I've had, um, homosexual experiences and homosexual lovers we all have and you know not your father he's he's very heterosexual a little too heterosexual if you ask me and then like two scenes later or even less Stanley Tucci's in there talking about his gay experiences so first you're like wait how can you be too heterosexual in your heterosexual relationship and then like he's coming in there and they're like oh okay so like a little gay is still like too heterosexual for Patricia Clarkson then so I I, I love that part and you know like it's it's so the dynamic throughout is just so uh so fun and then yeah like that kind of like the parents going, well, I trust you enough to know that if you called her a twat, that she deserved to be called a twat. Which is, like, it's such a nice, like, parenting moment of, like, hey, every single one of your teenage moments, like, sure, if you get into the office and you're in your 30s and you call, you know, a fellow coworker uh, a curse word, it's not going to go well for you, but you're in high school. Like, emotions are boiling over, like... I'm not going. I'm not going to judge you based on my, you know, 45 year old life experience. Uh, I'm going to judge you based on what I see you uh, at your age and how self possessed you are and everything else. And yeah, if, if you felt the need to call this person a name, I'm sure they deserved it to some extent. And like that is when, when we kind of talked about like uh, the kind of parenting. It's like yeah, just I'm going to have shitty moments support me through that i also think they were proud that their daughter thought of such an unconventional curse word to call someone (laughs) which i think genuinely speaks well of both olive and her parents we could all mix it up a little more get original with our curse words feels like they didn't need to have patricia carkson and stanley tucci in this movie yeah i would ultimately say the dad is not ultimately that important. He just needs to be like cute and charming for a scene and then can go away. Uh, Patricia Clarkson needs to nail like one dramatic scene. That's kind of it. 
Um, when both of uh, these amazing actors are in such films as Lucky Number Slevin and The Maze Runner, respectively, um, I, I think that uh, we can afford to have them in our charming rom-coms as well. Certainly, especially when it's what puts this over the top. And I would even go so far as to say this isn't a rom-com. It's just a really light, funny movie that's directed at women. Though they do reward her with a man in the end. So in that sense, it feels like a rom-com. <laughs> Right. And the dude is such a window ornament. And that, I think, is a statement in and of itself. But yeah, that's also one of the weakest parts of the movie. I, a little bit. And also, it's um, it's super weird because the only other thing I know Penn Badgley for, which I didn't the first time I saw this, is the uh, Lifetime series You, in which, which is excellent, by the way, and like will distract you from any problem. Um, but it's just, it follows this guy who's like stalking women and like it's very like unreliable narrator, like talented Mr. Ripley style of like um, convincing himself that he's a good person, but like everything he's saying is like super toxic. So it's very very weird in retrospect to have him in really any other part. It's like, it's like, it, it would be like watching Dexter, like watching yeah, Michael C. Hall. Yeah. <laughs> Though I, I grew up with watching him in uh, Gossip Girl. So this feels like uh, very much an extension of that. Like the dorky, cute, the dorky, cute guy who's like really well-meaning and tries to help people and stuff. And then, um, and then you felt like it was riffing on this persona later, right? Like uh, that how uh, nice guys, so to speak, you know, the charming guys who have good taste in movies and books and, and all that can uh, can be just as dangerous as um, as the guys who tell you what they are up front. I do like that. More. Yeah, I do like that. He does get to be barely in the movie like i i i, I like that it's not like up. no i i think that's it like because her story is what i'm interested in she's great her family's great all this stuff like they do get to do this like hey she's you know she's the one that's had a crush on him like it feels like it's still her story even with the that she gets the 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 boy at the end and like we just get to check in on him occasionally like he's at the party he waves to her we don't have to to dig deep into how this guy ticks and how he feels about someone like there's no side character where he talks to his his friend about like i don't care what they call her like i've i'm in i'm in love with her as a matter of fact as far as we know he has no other friends he talks to no one else in the movie um <laughs> besides Besides Olive, which is which again, I like. I like that. Like, yeah, he exists. They've had a longer relationship than this. Like, we'll pull him into the plot when when Olive's ready to pull him into the plot. Definitely, and it's never more so than when she's doing the striptease at the assembly, and he's just like on guitar next to her, and you're like, oh, he's here. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I also I do like the part though. They do manage to stick in like a little bit of his personhood just in that this moment is highly relatable when she's like ranting and she's really upset after the guy tried to actually have sex with her for the gift card and he's driving her home and she's like, I always liked you. And he's like, wait, what did you say about always liking me? Because I think we've all like been there with someone who's like a wreck and then like and then like slips you a hint that they might like you and if you like them, you know. It's like, hey, hold on. Let's circle back to that thing that you acted like was established and I had no idea. (laughs) So that is good. So I do also think, so I think this movie has a really weird structure and I think you could actually improve it uh, a bit because I think it peaks a little early because I think the peak of the movie is the um, party sex scene and it peaks pretty early 
And then it forgets about Dan Bird's character for like an hour and shows you him on his fucking road trip with his like offensive Jim Huck Finn metaphor. Um, uh, and then, and then like, you also meet Lisa Kudrow's character very late in the movie, maybe like 15, uh, 20, yeah. a half hour to go. And um, you meet, you even meet, uh, or no, you don't meet her, her male teacher too late. Oh, but you also meet the guy who tries to hire her as a prostitute too late. Like they should have introduced those characters earlier. And I even think you could do the scene where someone tries to literally get her to be a prostitute earlier in uh in an effort to make it a little less second half heavy yeah it is you're right like the way care like lisa kudra just all of a sudden shows up yeah like you said like an hour into a hundred minute movie um it, it is a little weirdly structured i that's why i almost thought it took place on a longer timeline because you're almost like meeting people throughout a school year um which like almost like the lady bird structure um but yeah, it, it definitely takes place as we're as we pieced it together quicker than that. Um, I do want to because I know we're getting close to time here. I do want to make sure we talk a little bit about um, the the her her Olive's main antagonists throughout the movie, um, which are the uh, which are the uh, Christian clique led by Amanda Bynes. Uh, who is very good. Uh, did you, did either of you guys see the movie Saved? The preview for Saved is actually, like, a little better than the experience of watching Saved, in my opinion. Yeah, it, it's a movie that's an amazing first act. You're like, they're making a movie like this, and then as it goes on, you're like, oh, okay, they, <laughs> they had one great idea, and they blew it in the first act. Yeah, terrible third act. Really, really good first act. And then, yeah, it, it ends on, like, the whole final act it ends on such a weird place. But so I, I kind of like of like let's take the, the 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 whole school from save. That's what it does feel like, and like let, let's just put him into a group for these little great moments, and also to have a foil for like here's why, as opposed to just a, a school who's a little bit like horny and guilty all the time because they're high schoolers, like getting a little bit too riled up. Let's make sure that there's actually like a group that is. Um, trying to use Olive as an example, like the Scarlet Letter, as to why sex is is bad. But goddamn, their group is so fucking funny. And um, even in their little tidbits just reminds me so much of people that I knew uh, in junior high, in high school. Again, maybe that's also the, like, clearly written by a, by a 90s kid, so to speak, because, like, these little groups absolutely did exist. Um... And at least at a public high school, I don't know if maybe it was different at uh, at Peter. I know you went to a Catholic high school, uh, Joey. I guess I don't know. I went to a uh, huge but... public high school in Berkeley, which is much more diverse, but um, pretty similar politically. So I like recognize that these weird like Christian versions of hippies exist. I know barely any of them. So my yeah, my experience with them, which I think just hits close to home, is again not not again not all Christians, but like these people that were 
uh, outrageously aggressive in telling you you were wrong about things or just people they were wrong with a confidence like if you've ever seen the movie Jesus Camp of like, I'm going to go up to strangers, except that it's not strangers. It's a bunch of people that occupy the high school together. And then if you reacted any way that isn't like throwing yourself on your knees and crying, you're the asshole. And and like uh, that confidence of like, hey, fuck you. Like Jesus is on my side. I can say, I can do uh, there's and and if you are like, hey, back off or make a joke back to me because I've been the aggressor and that's the way that you're handling an awkward situation, like it, it felt very true to life. Yeah, that did not happen at my school. The only thing that would happen is like older middle-aged men with Bibles would come and like make sure the Berkeley youth were like not sinning too much. And then we would like intentionally sin in front of them. To break their spirits. By saying twat. We would, like, we would just do gay things. Oh, that's good, too. Uh, <laughs> uh, Peter. Peter, did you ever have an experience with, like, this kind of group? Oh, yeah, of course I did. <laughs> These kids, the, uh, because those were the only, uh, in high school, I hung out with all sorts of kids uh, from all sorts of social strata, because going to Catholic high school was uh, kind of meant a lot of us were jammed in together. Um, I don't I, I don't know if, like, Mean Girls-style cliques existed by the time <laughs> I was in high school. I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't know. Um, but the one kids that I, like, steered fucking clear of were the nutjob Christian kids that would uh try and get you to join different groups and try and get us to join young life and like all that um the weird petitions of what the school's allowing that they shouldn't anymore there were there were kids that were uh upset when they ex they they shortened the skirt length rule by like an inch or something which was mostly out of greed because they signed up with a new cheaper supplier <laughs> and then that supplier was making slightly shorter skirts or something <laughs> or they would allow are they like are allowing actual skirts instead of skorts which is you know the, the, the they're essentially plaid no. shorts yeah um capitalism uh, always trumps religion <laughs> yeah yeah they're, they're, i think that it was really just about they got a new cheaper supplier and they were like all right we can make an extra chunk of money oh, off these kids when we sell them back secondhand god said we got the measurements slightly off <laughs> uh, my brother's school eliminated their dress code and then the local news did a story on it and everyone was sort of like wait please don't call attention to this or everyone will like come naked tomorrow Oh, no, we're going to be on Fox <laughs> News. Uh, you know what else I want to make sure we talk about is that montage where she keeps opening the card to the Pocket Full of Sunshine song. So, yeah, we should definitely talk about that because I have seen it's Natasha Bedingfield. I've seen her in concert. I've seen her. I've seen her play that song. She opened for a band called New Kids on the Block, who I saw in their reunion tour in 2008. Uh, wasn't wasn't intending on it. it was actually like I have no like animosity towards uh, that or any kind of like music. I um, was up in I, I didn't live in Minneapolis where I live now. I was up here for a job interview and I had some friends and they said, hey, we had someone bail on the new kids on the block concert tonight. Do you want to come? So I had a I had a yeah, spontaneous trip to the new kids on the block concert. Um, here's what I'll say. I and, and Natasha Benningfield was the opener. I left knowing one new Kids on the Block song because that just kind of missed me. Like, they were big in 89. I was six. I was still listening to kid music. When I got into real music, it was Genesis. I was a weird kid. We'll talk about it some other time. Um, 
But uh, um, but I left and downloaded more than a few new kids on the block songs. It was uh, it was a good cut. I and I liked that. Yeah, there was that song and another song that I liked quite a bit. Like I'm like, this is good. She put on a good performance. Um, yeah. But I have seen her in concert, and she seems to have disappeared off the face of the earth. To me, that sequence is just like so much better than it needs to be. Like yeah, yeah. so much about this movie. It just goes above and beyond, and it's also so much on the back of Emma Stone just being exceptionally charismatic and funny. Um, and I think we all love the gif where she, like, gives herself a soap mohawk in the shower while she's singing it. Like, it's just highly relatable. Um, and yeah, I just, I love watching her get, like, increasingly hooked on the song, like, as she paints her dog's toenails and stuff. And, like, really, that whole thing is only in there to show us that she was not doing anything that weekend. And, and and it's in it, but it has the double function of making her incredibly charming, right? Which is like, which is like, uh, I so uh, let me talk about Emma Stone really quickly, uh, and I'll sort of segue that into my final thoughts. Um, so uh, so Emma Stone is incredibly charming in this movie, and I think that this sequence in particular, and then um, some of the last sequences where she's like just straight up like Hollywood royalty, like. Um, like movie star energy out the ass uh, in this movie um, is what made her a star today because like, yeah, like super bad is something that gets the attention of producers and such Zombieland probably introduced her to a few people, but like I loved Zombieland and I didn't really yeah. remember her much, but like her, her IMDb career is like not that impressive. She's mm-hmm. in a lot of very, very, very bad movies. Um, like, uh, the interview, Amazing Spider-Man Two, Gangster Squad, The Help. I think The Help was like considered a failure because it was like an Oscar hit. I just think it's not considered woke at this point, and it also soured rather quickly. But like Aloha came out. Yeah, and Aloha. I don't think Emma Stone would be like, I shouldn't have done The Help. Like, I think it probably helped her career still. See what I did there? Honestly, she didn't start doing like she didn't make a movie that i was like in love with in love with until the favorite in 2018 and then since then nothing so like it's interesting that like she's an have you not seen pop star i love her show maniac which no one has seen i think the favorite just happened it's been a year so you know i think she's and she also is like the secret main character of the favorite and like totally steals the movie um and and cements her reputation as you know doing funny sex stunts that my parents watch with her hand job apathy um uh, you know guys are always being like oh yeah i did notice emma stone and um in super bad, but I totally did. And I watch, I watch, if a movie has male protagonists, like I'll usually pick out like an especially good female character to sort of watch everything from the perspective of, in addition to the male protagonist. Um, so I do, that does happen. But what I was so impressed by in, with her in super bad is like the same quality of being so fucking gorgeous, but also so goofy and fun and relatable. Like it's like what we wanted Lindsay Lohan yeah. to be and we didn't get. Yeah, I mean, you could buy her. You could buy that she would date Jonah Hill. Yeah, yeah, and that's weird, and a be- and that should not work with such a beautiful girl, but it does, and it makes sense. And I also just really love her character in that. I really love that, like, it turns out she's not, she's not as actually drink. She's just like sort of facilitating a party. Like, I really love Emma Stone in Superbad, and I really love Superbad a lot too. So I was really excited that 
that because I was like, who is this girl? I adore her. And I do like I also like I love like a deep voiced woman like I because I, I have always had a deep voice. So there is there's a little bit of that. Um, but yeah, she's so she's so charming in such a unique way, almost like in a different vibe, but almost as like uniquely charming as like uh, but or actually more so than um, what's her face from all the um, from all the 80s movies from all the um Mollering walls, yeah, but yeah, I think that actually, I think it actually helps my final point, which is that she's, uh, she's one of those actors who I'm not really particularly attached to many of her movies up before the favorite. Uh, I think yeah. this movie is really charming and very sweet and like is a good time, but I'm not particularly attached to this one. I'm not particularly attached to Superbad, even though Superbad is like <laughs> fucking like. Like, it came out when I was at that age and we were trying to, like, uh, get into, you know, upperclassmen parties and steal booze and, like, get fake IDs and all that. Like, it came out when it right at that perfect age for me and I find the movie very charming, but, like, it, it didn't stick with me the way it did a lot of men of my generation. But um, anyways, um, and I, I love her in Maniac. Um, but other than that, like, uh, but other than that, I don't think... Um, I don't think up until the favorite, she was in like a movie that I thought like, oh my God, like or the the level of talent she's bringing is matching the movie. Um, and, but Easy A kind of breaks that, 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 um, I, I think kind of breaks that narrative for me a little bit because I think like this is a movie that she needed to have to become a movie star where she gets to be the bright light even in bad movies. She gets to be the best part of okay movies. She gets to yeah. be this charmer uh, in interviews and gets to do little web bits and good interviews and stuff that makes us like understand that she's incredibly talented even when the movie she's promoting sucks. And, and, and so, like, it's interesting, and I'm glad that she hasn't gotten, like, the stink off of the how many bad movies she's been in in her short career. Uh, yeah, so my, my thing is, like, Emma Stone's great. I will just say, I kind of, like, this, this movie, I remember watching it when it came out, and it was one of those movies I was very purposely not going to watch, right? Like, it was at a time when the the fancy high school genre, or even the high school, like, uh comedy movie genre was like completely in the toilet or non-existent when they did do high school movies it was super bad types right like it was like it was post Judd Apatow it was we've learned how to say the F word again there's no such thing as a PG-13 high school movie let alone a literature adaptation so I remember hearing from friends of mine that this was actually good and it had that modifier like no 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 like this is actually good as opposed to like oh yeah you should see it it's good because it kind of existed in a vacuum of a pg-13 this type of movie and um i i think we're still somewhat living in this vacuum although i know there's a few netflix movies that i haven't gotten around to yet that people kind of talk about this being that new um the new set of him, I'd say Love, Simon, I guess, is pretty close to that, which is a movie I loved from uh, 2018 as well. But, uh, yeah, I really wish there was it, – it's a weird thing where we just got a glut of both fancy adaptations and just general high school movies in the two in the 90s and the 2000s uh, that were like PG-13, were extremely pleasant uh, throughout, funny throughout, and had these like great s supporting casts along with like burgeoning new stars. And um, I wouldn't mind going back to that era. 
Because uh, there, there, while there was a lot of shit, there was a lot of great movies that we're talking about this month. And I feel like Easy A is a good example of, yeah, you can still do it. Like, even though this, this very specific rating and genre has its place in the 90s and 2000s, here's one in 2010 that works pretty much, uh, not perfectly, but pretty close. And actually, the only thing that it really needs its updating on that we talked about is uh, not not thinking it's still a 90s teen movie and maybe updating some attitudes and some other things in there. But anyway, yeah, I wish they made more of them uh, because this shows the magic's not dead yet. Uh, and now I'm Leonard Balton. Uh, I guess. Uh, so, so Joey, what are your final thoughts before we wrap this episode? Up? Sure. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I think there were there was like sort of a renaissance of teen movies that a little bit um, sometimes had too much of a samey vibe to them. Um, but as as you yourself have pointed out, um, you know there were some that just uh, the all, the whole cast turned into big stars, had a lot of star power, and then also that were surprisingly clever while also having. Really insight um and you know we remember those and the forgettable ones um sort of fade away um and uh, yeah as these go i think that easy a is um you know it's a later example but i think it's a particularly good one i don't think it is quite at the level of the best ones which i would say are clueless um and heathers from the 80s um i always say that heathers is the only one that like exaggerates it enough so that you get the impression of how bad it is um and yeah yeah you you can't you can't like you know there's no there's no hyperbole um strong enough and then there was heathers and it's like okay maybe that's strong enough um uh and i actually probably hold um this is probably a bit of a hot take i think that mean girls is very good but not great and i agree i have a friend who thinks the test for if a movie is great or not is just asking yourself, is it better or worse than Mean Girls? And if it's not better than Mean Girls, you can't call it great. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that, back to EZA, I think EZA um, is really filing, firing at all cylinders. I think the writing is smart, um, but it's really the cast and the performances that are all so much better than they need to be with the little touches, like the montages. Um, yeah, so I just think uh, Easy A is so good because it goes so far above and beyond both on a writing and cast level. And especially when you look at little moments with Emma Stone, like the pocket full of sunshine montage, or just that thing that became a gif of her going burn when she's doing the um, the corsets. Like, if she wasn't Emma Stone, those, movi- those moments wouldn't be nearly as indelible as they are. And she really brings a ton of charisma to them. Yeah, exactly. She's got she's got that movie star energy. Like it's something it's it's that ineffable quality where you're just like, oh, she was she was ready for for the screen. Um, There's lots of good actors that don't have movie movie star energy. But like Emma Stone can take a okay joke and make it incredibly charming. Yeah. And she like emerged like with that level of confidence from from super bad on. So, yeah. Uh, Yeah. But Joey, thank you so much for being on again. Um do you have anything to promote before we wrap up? Uh, yeah, follow me at Movie Equations on Twitter. I'm always tweeting out movies that remind me of combinations of other movies. Um, and then also you can follow me on Letterboxd um, at Joey Lee, J-O-E-Y-L-E-E, no space. Um, 
yeah, I think I have like 900 movie reviews on there or something ridiculous. I am thinking of starting a blog, but I haven't even really um, done anything besides think of a title. So, um, which I'm not going to, which I won't reveal. Hey, that's step one. Yeah, which I won't reveal on this podcast because no, don't. I don't want you to get the domain name and then like jack up the price. So that's, uh, that's me. Awesome. Yeah, well, we'll have those links in the show notes. And thanks again for coming on. Uh, this was this was excellent. Uh, through some Skype difficulties, uh, this is going to be a great episode. And Peter, we only have one more. Fancy High School is almost out for the summer. We're doing 10 Things I Hate About You with Liam Haber. And we've recorded everything so out of order because we have a lot more free time lately um, that we talked about things that we'll talk about in more detail next week. So if you got those subtle hints in this episode, like when we said things like explicitly referring to that episode, uh, get the whole story. Get the, um, as Andy Rooney would say, uh, the rest of the story. Yeah, I know that's not Andy Rooney, but it's a good book for a podcast. We're just going to end it there. Good night! Thank you so much for listening to We Love to Watch. If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, It wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, (laughs) If you can't, (laughs) uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand and you want to support the show. We truly, absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it, and it's because it really does help. And so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically, they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years. Uh, We really do appreciate you. Uh, With kisses and smooches, Peter and Aaron. (laughs)